Turn, if you would, to the 15th chapter of the book of Matthew. This week we went traveling. Monday I got to go, we got to go to the uh, Bible Museum in D.C. Uh, compliments of the church, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's very impressive. If you have an opportunity to go, by all means do so. And then we went up to Pennsylvania and saw our daughter that lived up there. It was 80 degrees and it did rain. <laughs> Unlike here. Last week we finished off chapter 14. We had a discussion of a couple of miracles. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus walking on water. We had a discussion about the relationship of science and our understanding of science and the fact that the miracles appear to not make any sense to us as modern uh, rational people. We begin to think that, well, you can believe in miracles or you can be reasonable, but you can't be both. The reality is that science is built on the foundation that we live in a closed universe. There's nothing outside of it that can interact with the universe as we know it. Biblically, we know that God is outside the created order, that God does have the ability to change, to perform miracles in the world that we live in. And that produced the discussion of, if he does, why doesn't he do it more often? And maybe he does and we just don't see them, I think is primarily the answer. So we pick up in chapter 15. The, then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat? A delegation from Jerusalem came to talk to Jesus. Now, imagine what's been going on. We've said this from the very beginning. Remember, even when we had the discussion about the Sermon on the Mount, my picture is it was Jesus, his disciples, the crowd, and then on the periphery would have been these people wondering, is Jesus a threat? Should we be concerned about him? Do we have to deal with him? They've been following Jesus all along. Remember, several chapters ago, they came to him and said, why are your disciples eating grain on the Sabbath day. They shouldn't be doing that. And at some point, we're told they just decided they needed to get rid of him. So what I think happened is they sent a letter to Jerusalem and said, bring out the big guns. We need to deal with Jesus. He's causing problems. Now this is fascinating. It's fascinating because you know that they cannot do the things that Jesus is doing you know that they cannot do the miracles. You know they cannot heal the people like Jesus could. And instead of saying, wow, isn't that amazing? I don't understand it, but maybe we need to get on board. They viewed it as a threat. So they sent the delegation from Jerusalem to come to Jesus to set him up, to figure out how to put him in his place. So they come to him and they say, why do your disciples, and that's interesting right there because it's like they can't find anything to deal with Jesus, so they're always going after his disciples. You know, his, why don't your disciples follow the tradition of the elders by washing their hands before they eat? Now, we need to make one thing perfectly clear at this point. We are not talking about hygiene, okay? Nothing in this passage is going to talk about hygiene. When they talk about washing their hands before they eat, the Pharisees, the rabbinical teachings, had developed a whole series of ways to cleanse yourself from the pollution of the world. And we're not talking air pollution, we're talking spiritual pollution. I walked down the street, and guess what? I walked next to a sinner. <gasps> I've got to get back home, and I've got to wash that off of me before it corrupts me. 
I came in contact with the wrong kind of people. I touched somebody. I touched the bread that the guy sold me, and he was a sinner, and I've got to deal with it. We are not talking about germs. We're talking about spiritual pollution in their eyes. So they come to Jesus, and they say, you've seen what we do. You know how to properly clean yourself before you eat. Because, you know, you've got those bad person things on you, and you've got to get them off, because if you eat, you're going to take those bad person things, and you're going to swallow them. You've got to do something about that. Now, we need to remember that in the Old Testament law, there were provisions for being clean. Okay, you were supposed to wash yourself. You were supposed to do certain things, and they were very particular. Some of them kind of are strange to me. There's chapters about what to do if somebody has a rash. You know, you look at them, and if it's still there seven days later, you take them to the priest. If it's still there, you set them outside of town for a while because it might be an infectious disease, and you don't want to infect the community. Why in the Old Testament did they even have these laws in the first place? Why did, Jesus, why did God give them the laws to do this? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One may have been hygiene. Okay, let's just face it. God created the world. He knows how it works, right? So wash your hands before you eat. Good idea. But God also wanted the Jewish people to recognize that they were holy. They were set apart. And by purifying yourself, you demonstrated to yourself and to the community and to the world that you were set apart for the things of God. But like so many other things, they had taken that external sign and turned it into the primary function. Instead of demonstrating that I worship God and I'm set apart from God, they used it so they could look down on the people around them and say, ah, look at you. You don't spend 15 minutes washing your hands before you eat. It was the same with the sacrificial system, and we've talked about that at length. God gave them the sacrificial system to demonstrate that Christ was going to be the final sacrifice. It was still to be done by faith. But the moment they started doing it as an external action only, the prophets finally said, why do you even bother? All you're doing is going through motions that have no effect. So, the initial giving of the rules by God made perfect sense. It's just that the Pharisees, after years and years of teaching, had built this mountain of regulations and tradition on top of the teaching of God. It was suggested that we break into a rousing round of tradition from Fiddler on the Roof. We're not going to do that. So they come to Jesus and they say, why do you, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now, at that point, you would expect Jesus to say, well, let's talk about tradition, but he's not going to. Instead of taking their bait, he's going to address the issue of their heart. And why do you, he answered them, and why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? Commandment, tradition. You're complaining that my disciples are breaking your tradition, while at the same time, you're breaking the commandment in order to keep your tradition. And that's how we know we're in trouble for God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or, or, or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. 
So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Now, this is kind of a weird statement. What is he accusing them of doing? Okay. I am supposed to take care of my parents. I am to honor my father and mother. Now, we have a long discussion. We could have about that. None of us are teenagers, so I don't need to deal with that, of teenagers honoring your parents. For younger individuals, honor does mean obeying. At some point, the necessity of obedience moves away. The necessity of honor does not. We are to honor our parents for our entire lives. You go, wait a minute, you don't know my parents. <laughs> and that's true, I don't. I am very fortunate that I have a wonderful mother who is still alive. I have a wonderful father who's no longer with us. So it's easy. I have good in-laws, everything is great. But I know that there's some parents that you don't wanna deal with. That doesn't matter. We are called to show honor to them. That doesn't mean we necessarily have to do what they tell us to do, okay? You do see the distinction, right? So, we are commanded to honor our fathers and mothers, and they understood that. That's very clearly given. It's in the Ten Commandments. It is the first commandment with a promise that your days on this earth would be long, okay? So, how were they violating that? Well, let's talk about getting out of paying our taxes. Let's talk about a tax dodge, okay? I'm gonna take my money and I'm gonna put it in a trust for some useful purpose so I don't have to pay taxes on it. It's still mine, I still control it, but phew, I got around the taxes. That's why we have tax people to tell us how to do that. That's what they were doing with their parents. I've got all this stuff in my house. I've got money, I've got cash. I could take care of my parents. But you know what? I'm a pious person. I really am a pious person. I have committed everything I own to God. I've given it to God. Now, I still control it. It's still in my house. It's still under my power to do with it what I want. But I've committed it to God. And guess what, Mom, Dad? I can't spend any of it on you because it's God's money. So what I've done, in essence, is I've taken that money that God gave me to provide for my parents, and I've removed it from being able to take care of my parents with it. Waha! I'm golden. I get the money, and I don't have to spend it on my no-good parents. I mean, my parents. It sounds pious, doesn't it? It sounds very righteous. Everything that I have, I've given to God. He owns it all. I can't spend it on you. And that's what he's accusing them of doing. That is their tradition that is overriding the command to, that God gave them to take care of their parents. Now, at this point, we need to have a long discussion, which we're not going to have. Because you see, the next obvious question is, what are the traditions in our lives that we use as excuses for not following the commands of God? It is interesting, we look back at them and we go, that's the stupidest thing in the world. You say that your money is dedicated to God so that you can't help your parents, that's so stupid. But that's only because here we are almost 2,000 years later and we have a certain amount of perspective on their problem. We don't have the same perspective on our problem. 
We don't have the same level of perspective that can show us how we, how we are violating the commands of God in order to satisfy our traditions. Now, first off, we live in a society that doesn't really value tradition. We really don't, okay? As a general rule, our society believes that we are autonomous human beings and we have the right to make anything up that we want to do. And who are you to tell me otherwise, right? So tradition is viewed just as a way of limiting our options. And so we've just thrown away tradition. So we say. But what we have done is we've picked up the world's way of doing things and we begin to say, well, the world's way of doing things is this. I know there's a command of God somewhere, sort of, that says, but I've got to do what everybody around me is doing. Now, the flip side of it is we just get rid of the commands of God. We are saved by grace, right? You remember that part? In case you haven't forgot, you've forgotten, I do mention it occasionally. You can sit there as an unbeliever and do good works until your head falls off and you will never earn your salvation. Why? Because first off, your good works are tainted with your sin nature. And secondly, you have sin in your past that your good works will not reconcile with God. So you cannot, by doing good works, by obeying the commands of God, earn your way into heaven. You cannot do it. But... The commands of God reveal to us the character of God. They reveal to us what we need to do in order to live a life that's in keeping with God's will. And we as believers, through the power of the Holy Spirit, do obey the commands of God. Or we ought to. But we don't. Why not? Well, I've got this tradition of doing my own thing. I've got this tradition of doing what my neighbor does, and they're a devout pagan. I have this tradition that says no. And, well, grace will see me through it. Grace will make it all okay. So we look at the Pharisees and we go, oh man, I'm glad I am not like that. I am not a hypocrite. Yet if you start, I mean, let's even stick with the New Testament. I mean, let's just set aside the Old Testament for a moment. Let's make it easier on ourselves. Go read the last, well, the sermon series we've been working on, right? Ephesians. Just go read the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And it'll tell you to do something. Put off the deeds of darkness. Put on the deeds of light. Go do that tomorrow. But I can't. I've got to watch TV. And the TV show's on it. Yeah. Tradition says I've got to do it. But we don't call it tradition. We just call it this is the way we've always done it. Right? Not realizing or recognizing that we are taking our way of doing things and setting it above the commands of God. You know, when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I always get mad at them. I mean, that's tradition. <laughs> Why would I want to break my tradition? Because the scripture tells you not to do that. Where does it say not to get mad at somebody who cuts you off in traffic? Well, it's a loose translation. You do understand the picture, right? We look at the Pharisees and we think how stupid that is. Yet we do similar things every day. We go and we say, how can you, Jesus, let your disciples get away with not following my tradition? I mean, our tradition. I mean, for heaven's sakes, they don't even worship the way I do. We'll talk about that in just a moment.
For heaven's sakes, they don't even dress like I do. For heaven's sakes, can you believe what they're doing? What's the tradition and what's the command of God? Now, one of the problems we have is determining which fits into which category at times. Okay? I grew up in a good Baptist church. Okay? We didn't drink. We didn't smoke. We didn't chew. And what's the final one? We don't go with women who do. <laughs> Something like that. And you know what? I'm convinced that was true. But you know what? If you want to have a glass of wine with your dinner, more power to you. Why? Because there's actually no scripture that says, don't drink wine with your dinner. In fact, you could probably find a few that say, do drink wine with your dinner. It might be good for your liver or something, right? <laughs> I don't know. Now, it says, don't be drunk. There are certain commands and whatever, and I still follow those. Why? Because I, well, to tell you the honest truth, I do it out of respect for my father. My father didn't drink, I don't drink. But you know what? That's a tradition. That's a tradition. And I'm not going to sit here and bash anyone for not following my tradition. That's not my job. Now, there are commands. The scripture clearly says there are some things we ought to do and some things we ought not to do. And the problem is, as we study the scripture, we begin to think, oh, that's just somebody's tradition. No, it's the word of God. I've told you before, I remember, it was actually this class, but I won't say that, reading some verse, and somebody said, well, that's just your opinion. And I said, no, I just read the verse. <laughs> we either believe this is the word of God, and God has the right to give us commands on how we live our lives, or we don't. It's just tradition. So sometimes there is a little discussion of what follows into one category and what falls in the other category. I'm willing to have discussions about that, as long as we acknowledge that both categories do exist, and that the Word of God always, always, always trumps the tradition. So, the authorities, the big guns from Jerusalem come to Jesus and they say, we've got him. His disciples are dirty, filthy pigs. We're not talking about hygiene. And Jesus just turns it around and says, you are violating the commands. He didn't at all talk about washing hands. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. What he talked about was the relative value of commands and traditions. And he ends up saying, you hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who is playing a part that's not really them. Okay? I hate to say this, but my daughter and I are going to be in another play. <sighs> we keep doing this. I don't know why. But the idea of a hypocrite comes from the world of theater. The ancient Greeks would put on a mask. I put on a happy mask, it's a comedy. I put on a sad mask, it was a tragedy. And that's how we would do our plays. I go do a play with my daughter and I assume a role. And that's to be expected. Why? I'm in a play. A hypocrite who is somebody who comes off that stage and in the real world has that mask on that does not reflect the true character of who they are. They are a hypocrite. They are something that's not what they appear to be. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees. And these are not local Pharisees. These are big league Pharisees from Jerusalem, and he says, you hypocrite. More about this in the months to come as we continue to deal with the Pharisees. Now, 
stepping aside to have one little discussion that we've had in here before. The word hypocrite is a word that's thrown out too much these days in a certain sense. You're a Christian and you whack your thumb with a hammer and you have a choice word that comes out of your mouth. I don't know what your particular choice word is. I'll leave that to your imagination. And your neighbor who is in the yard four blocks down, here's your, your choice word and says, that person's not really a Christian. They are a hypocrite. Well, you may be a hypocrite and you may not be a hypocrite. We as believers, unlike we the Pharisees, we as believers acknowledge the fact that we sinned before we were converted, we sin after we are converted, and we will continue to sin until the day God takes us back to heaven. We're not saying that we don't sin. When we sin, we confess, we repent, and through the grace of God, we don't repeat that one too many more times. We acknowledge that. That is not what makes you a hypocrite. What makes you a hypocrite is when you don't recognize that you're sinning, you don't care about confessing it, you have no interest in repenting because you have begun to believe the mask that you're showing to the world. So the world today will accuse you of being a hypocrite just because you sin. And we repent. And we tell them, sorry, I messed up. God would not want me to do that. Will you forgive me if it's against a particular individual? That's what we do. But when I begin to believe that my mask is the real me, then I am a hypocrite. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. <sighs> There's a lot here. These people honor, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Remember our whole discussion in the Sermon on the Mount. We spent weeks dealing with the fact that the Pharisees had determined that actions were all that were important. As long as I don't physically murder someone, I have kept the commandment of God. And Jesus took every one of those and he brought it back to a matter of the heart. No, it's not just not physically murdering someone, it's a matter of not even hating them. Because if you hate your brother, you are guilty before God, because God can see the condition of your heart. You and I can't. You and I can fake it real well. I've told you before in here, I'm really not very good at telling whether somebody's lying to me or not. I really can't. I mean, I've had people and I'm going, I know they're lying, I just don't know why. How? What? God knows. God knows the condition of your heart. If you think you're fooling God, your mask has gotten real tight and your brain isn't working. And that's what the Pharisees believed. I have so impressed the people that I must be impressive to God. And God says, your lips are going blah, blah, blah and saying all the right words, but your heart is as far away from me as it can be. And guess what's more important? the condition of your heart. Remember, in biblical terms, the heart is the center of your being. It's not the organ in your body that pumps blood. It is the center of your being, your mind, your will, and your emotions. We've had long discussions about that. In vain do they worship me. Why do we worship God? Why do we do that? Well, number one, we're instructed to do it. Okay? We are commanded to worship God. But what worship does is it changes our heart and puts it in line with what God would have us to do and to be. 
And we'll start with the be and move to the do, right? It changes us to be more like Christ and reflect the image of God. My worship should draw me closer to God. That is what it does for me. If my worship is vain, if it is futile, if it accomplishes nothing, then it's not drawing me closer to God. It's not doing what worship is supposed to do. I go to a church service and I sit through the music, which by the way, we tend to, in our minds, think that the music is worship and the preaching is something else. Okay, let's just get that out of our minds. Worship is all of it. Worship is what you do when you're walking down the street, admiring nature and going, God, you did a great job here. That's worship. Worship is that which draws us closer to God. But if I am worshiping, and I'll put that in quotes, and it is not drawing me closer to God, it is useless. I am just going through the motions. I go to the church service, and I sit in my pew, and I start singing the worship songs while I'm thinking, my, that lady up there has a really ugly dress on. You've never done that, right? <laughs> that guy, three rows back from me, he couldn't carry a tune if he had a bucket. <laughs> and can you believe that woman over there? Did you see what she did the other day? And she sits here singing this song? What a hypocrite! That's what we're thinking. And guess what? Our worship is worthless. You might as well go home and watch TV for what you're getting out of it. Jesus tells the Pharisees, your worship is useless because all it is is blah, 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 and your heart is far from God. What does God want? Does he want our words? Blah, blah. Yes, he does, actually. There are lots of verses that talk about the words that come out of our mouths. But as we're going to see in just a moment, those words are an indication of our heart condition, and that's what he is after. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I live in fear that I might stand up here and tell you something as a command of God that is not a command of God. Now, if the scripture says, thou shalt, I'm going to tell you, thou shalt. And if I believe something will help you with the thou shalt, I will tell you that, that this might help you with the thou shalt. But this is the help, that's the command. Do you understand the distinction? We can deal with how if we understand the command in the first place. You know, it's like people always tell you, you should wake up in the morning and you should read your Bible. And you know what? That's a wonderful thing to do. We see that in the life of Christ. It's a wonderful thing to do. And immediately some pops up, but I work third shift. Okay, do it after, before you go to bed. Wait, wait, that violates the do it first thing in the morning. Well, okay, that's the tradition. The command is to study the scripture. Now, does that mean telling people not to do it in the morning is unimportant? No, for most of you, that's the best way of doing it. For most of you, you ought to do it on a regular basis, at a regular time in your schedule. But that's the help to help you meet the commandment. And as I teach, I need to make sure that I am not taking the traditions of men, sugarcoating them to make them look like a command of God and giving it to you. Now, as I said, though, 
if the Bible says thou shalt, I'm going to tell you thou shalt. And sometimes that gets me in trouble because sometimes I don't want to say thou shalt. Sometimes I don't want to say thou shalt not. Sometimes I want to say, well, don't bother with that one. But I can't do that. The Pharisees had picked and chosen which commands and which traditions, and they'd wrapped them all up in order to make themselves look good to the people around them, and it worked in the eyes of men. But God wasn't having any of it. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Okay, remember, we are not talking about hygiene. We're talking about what defiles you spiritually. And Jesus makes his declaration right here. There is nothing, there is no contact with the sinful world that is going to defile me. What comes into my mouth is not going to spiritually corrupt me. But what comes out of me demonstrates the corruption of my heart. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I've just always been amazed at this question, this comment. Don't you know this upset them? I, I think Jesus looks at them and says, Duh. <laughs> Why did the disciples say it? I mean, let's think about this for a while. You've left your fishing job. You've left your tax booth to follow after this teacher because you have aspirations of good things. You believe that he is the Son of God. By this time, remember, we had Jesus walking on water in the last chapter and all this, but you have aspirations that the people at some point are going to recognize. They're all going to rise up and say, you're the Messiah and Jesus is going to walk into Jerusalem and be the top dog. And if he's the top dog, who's the second tier top dog? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, you get the picture. Not Luke, he's not one of the disciples. Twelve disciples? Jesus, twelve disciples. We'll have a discussion. Okay, that's their aspiration. So here comes the, the delegation from Jerusalem. I don't know how they knew they were a delegation from Jerusalem, but I'm real sure they knew. I mean, they probably had badges on. I'm from Jerusalem, <laughs> and I'm here to help you. No. They, they're the people. This is the in crowd. And if we can win them over, if we can convince them that our guy's the Messiah... We can go to Jerusalem tomorrow. Jesus is the top dog. We're the second tier top dogs. Life is going to be great. And what does Jesus do? He insults them. Hey, Jesus, wouldn't it be better if you didn't tick off the people who are in authority? You know, our job kind of depends on this. Don't you know that you insulted them? Don't you know they were offended by what you said? Shouldn't we talk nice to them? They're the big dogs from Jerusalem. He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Disciples, you think they're the top dogs because they came from Jerusalem. You think that they can help us spread the kingdom of heaven into the entire Jewish community. Let me tell you a truth, disciples. God didn't plant that tree. And one of these days, they're going to come and they're going to pull up that tree, root and all, and you will see that they are nothing 
in the eyes of God. Remember all those parables that we had several weeks ago about farmers and at the end of the age, you're going to pull up the good stuff and you're going to pull up the bad stuff and you're going to bundle up the bad stuff and you're going to burn it? That should be apparent to them at this point. Let them alone. They are blind guides. Now, picture this, if you will. You need to get somewhere because you are blind. Once again, he's using the physical blindness to relate a spiritual principle. But you're somewhere and you're blind physically. You need somebody to help you. Okay, when I was going to UTA years ago for my undergraduate, there was a guy on campus who was blind. And I thought it was kind of fun. He'd show up at an intersection and somebody would walk up, take his arm, and walk him across. It didn't mean if you were there, you walked him across the street. It was just assumed that's what you did. He was blind and he needed help. But let's look at it this way. You're blind and the guide is blind. What are you going to do? You're going to get hit by a car. You're going to fall into a pit. The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the time were the ones that were supposed to be leading the people in spiritual matters. And they were blind. They did not understand the truth. They did not understand that Jesus was the the Messiah. They did not understand what the Messiah was going to look like. Today, the world is full of people who need a guide. The question is, are the guides as blind as the people who need the guide? Jesus is telling his disciples, don't pay any attention to them. They don't mean anything for the kingdom of heaven. In a good world, they would be guiding the people along the path of righteousness. Instead, they're just taking the people for a walk that's going to end up in a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, what what is the parable? Uh, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles. That's the parable. That's the story that has a teaching relating to the kingdom. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Okay? This is a biology 101. This is what you teach your one-year-old great-grandson. You eat something, it goes into your stomach, and then it comes out as poop. That's a technical term, right? (laughs) I have said to people for years what I tell young parents, the first rule of parenting, poop washes off. Okay? Once you acknowledge that, life gets much better. But that's all it does. I eat lunch, and tomorrow it's vacated from the system. I eat lunch tomorrow, I eat lunch the next day, and the process repeats itself ad nauseum. That's all it does. That's the biology. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. I am walking down the street, and I walk too close to a sinner. You know them, right? Those people over there. And guess what? 
I rush home. I get a clean vat of water. I get two clean vats of water. I wash my hands like I am preparing for surgery. I wash my hands. I wash them to make sure that I dry them off and then I wash them again so I don't get the defilement of that sinner into my life. And Jesus says that has absolutely nothing to do with it. What defiles us, what demonstrates it, are our words that come out because those indicate the condition of our heart. Remember our discussion in the Sermon on the Mount as he worked through the different commandments to demonstrate that they are an indicator They are controlled by the condition of our heart, our mind, will, and emotions. What is it that produces adultery, murder, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander? Did I happen to walk next to a murderer and I came home and committed murder because I had walked next to a murderer? No. I committed murder because my heart was darkened. It had nothing to do with coming in contact with a murderer. It had to do with the condition of my heart. We could look at this list of sins. We could spend a good amount of time, but I think we all know what they are, right? Evil thoughts, just thinking bad things. Murder. Well, murder, I mean... That's not words. That's not a thought. But Jesus says that's where it starts. That's where it starts. The book of Proverbs, what is it, chapter 1. Hey, buddy, come along. Let's go kill somebody and take their stuff. And wisdom says, don't go along with them. It's a condition of the heart that drives you to do murder, Adultery, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is the broader term. Adultery is sex outside of marriage or sex inside of marriage with somebody that's not your, you're, you're not married to. But sexual immorality is just the broad pornea. It's just whatever it is. That's where we get the word pornography. What does pornography do? It corrupts the heart. What does the heart do? It desires more. It's like all of these sins. We think that we can satiate, we can satisfy it. No. The evil heart cannot be satisfied. Adultery, sexual immorality, theft. Theft? That kind of sounds like an action. Why is that a condition of the heart? Because you're desiring things that aren't yours. Where do all these actions and words start? They start in your heart. False witness, just telling things that aren't true. Slander, you know, I'm going to take you down a notch just so that I will feel better about myself. I'm going to say bad things about you so that I will feel better. And then I'm going to say some more and some more and some more. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Remember, we are not talking about hygiene. Yes? In this room? Her question is, are there Pharisees today? I do not know enough about the modern-day Jewish community to know whether there is an organization called the Pharisees, okay? I, I wouldn't think there were. I think the condition of the heart that produces the Pharisees is very prevalent. I think, I'll make a bold statement, I think the seeds of it exist in all of us. Some of us, through the grace of God, hopefully, examine our hearts and go, no, I should not be like that. What is the point of all this? To answer that question, 
What is the point of all of this? God is interested in the condition of your heart. When you go eat lunch today, guess what? Wash your hands before you eat. When you go to the bathroom, wash your hands afterwards, okay? That's hygiene. But you can sit there with the biggest bar of soap in the universe and you are not going to wipe away the defilement of your heart. The only thing that deals with the defilement of your heart is the grace of God moving in your life. When we say, God, I read about these Pharisees, and sometimes that looks like me. I see that neighbor down the street, and I go, I can't imagine why they're doing what they're doing. And I'm beginning to be like that Pharisee. And we go to God and say, God, forgive me. Help me and cleanse my heart. You see, the Pharisees were so in earnest. I mean, they were committed to looking good. And God was interested in the condition of their heart. And number one, he wanted them to recognize the Messiah. They had studied the scriptures. They should have been the ones who said, hmm, heals people, raises the dead, causes the blind to see. Check, check, check. Remember John's disciples? Here's the list. Check, 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 check. They should have known that, but they didn't. And here's the question that I'll leave you with. It's a purely hypothetical question. If Jesus walked into this room today and he wasn't dressed like you, he didn't use the same words as you, he was carrying a King James Bible, <laughs> he called you to a life that is alien to the life that you're living right now, would you be the disciple or would you be the Pharisee? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you can change our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would not be pharisaical in our dealings with those around us, but that we would continually draw ourselves closer and closer to you, that our worship would not be in vain, but would be bringing glory to you every day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.